but suddenly it's appearing real. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's not the false evidence that that allows it to appear real. It's the what's witnessing it or observing it is what's giving it its reality. Yeah. So the main ingredient of false evidence appearing real is to a you. Yeah. That little addendum that we don't remember too much when we go, false evidence appears real. It's a beautiful acronym for fear or face everything and run or whatever, whatever it says. Face everything. How could face everything and run be it? But you know what I mean? They forget the little addendum to put on it. False evidence appearing real to who? Yeah? The, the who is the re, is, gives it the reality. It doesn't have reality. How could false evidence suddenly spring into reality if it's false? Yeah? Sort of like, how could what's not happening have an influence in what's happening unless what's happening invites it? You know, what's happening, in, what's happening gives it enough reality for it to affect what's going on. Yeah. Like, and if you look at, if you just do a little like a... Uh, like inventory, you'll see on Sunday night day, let's say, Sunday, you were feeling sort of funky or bad. You thought you, were, you weren't connected or whatever. And then this thing appears to be really a problem, you know? And it's, for all evidence, perceptually, you can call up the people and you may even get agreement with them. Oh, yeah, that's a problem. So, all right, you've recognized something, you've identified something as a problem, Sunday. Then Monday comes around... And you're in, you feel pretty good Monday. You're sort of clear. What's I don't know why you took a nice shower or something. Something lifted, and now that which was a problem on Sunday suddenly, who know how does this happen? Is now not a problem. Yeah, and and the people who you told the story about it being a problem on Sunday still have the story on Monday that's a problem, but you don't have the story anymore. You, you fucking infected them. Now they're now they're saddled with the story of you having a problem, but you're sort of free from the problem. Yeah. And then, all right, maybe it hasn't dawned on you yet. You're rolling it, maybe. All right, so then Tuesday comes along. So it only takes three days. So Tuesday comes along, and now you're not feeling good Tuesday. I mean, you wake up, and your head tells you you don't feel good, you're not good, you did something wrong last night, so now you have to be exiled from any possibility of being okay. It's called playing God. But now you've been ostracized or banished to a bad Tuesday. And then suddenly, that thing that was a problem Sunday looms ever larger as a bigger problem on Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, like an AA does in a very, very crude manner with an inventory process, and it tries to bring you to see your role in it. Well, let's get, let's bring ourselves to see our role in the perceptual experience here. You know how things are given meaning. How how can something that's a problem? Like there are some examples that I've heard in recovery meetings that are so. Extreme, it's very difficult not to get it where someone has a big story about the worst thing that ever happened to them. You know what I mean? Maybe it was getting married or divorced or what, getting cancer or something. So that's it. They've got it. It's as solid as real as real can be. It's the worst thing that ever happened to me. And, you know, there's, and it can be added on to. It's, the foundation is the worst thing. And then you bring other, this is why 
this is the second worst thing, brought about by the worst thing. And then you build this little altar and you worship at this little fake God, you know. The worst thing ever happened to me. This is why I didn't get married. This is the why I, I wasn't picked for the Little League team or whatever it may be. Everything gets pinned on this worst thing that happened. And then you come into recovery without much effort or thought on your part. Things just change because you're in the midst of a transforming event, really. Recovery is a transforming event, if you like it or not. If you go in it, you're going to be transformed in some level. So now it's transformed you to a point where the worst thing that ever happened to you is now the best thing that happened to you. If I wouldn't have gotten arrested that night, I wouldn't have found AA. If I hadn't found AA, I wouldn't feel this incredible sense of peace. Therefore, the worst thing that happened to me is now the best thing that happened to me. Okay? That's pretty extreme demonstration. I mean, you could, you may not be able to see it clearly if it was sort of bad and it got better, or sort of really bad and then less bad. But this is worst and then best, you know? <laughs> the worst based from one view, the best based on another view. And both views seem to be coming from your location. <laughs> you know what I mean? You go to your location, it was the worst thing, and maybe for years you were, then at the same your location, it's now the best thing. Yeah. The location hasn't changed. You're still in this body, so to speak. And, you know, you were born the year you're supposed to be born on, and you have this and that. But something moved. It wasn't your elbow or your ankle or your knee. It was the mind. The mind moved maybe just a little bit of an inch, but that little bit of an inch made the worst thing and the best thing be, be so contrasting. Can you see it? Get a little flavor of our role here. Yeah? If, you're not, if you don't get it that way, maybe you need a big book with a lot of writing in it called The Course in Miracles. And it will say to us, the second lesson, right out, right out of the gate with their, his whole take, the second one is, hey, you and I give everything all the meaning it has. All right? I gave that the worst thing that ever happened to me. I gave it the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah? The meaning came from the same location. It wasn't mailed from some place in Okinawa. Right? It was Paul, the worst thing, Paul, the best thing. <laughs> so Paul is a distributor, distributor of meaning. Yeah? Unbelievable amount of meaning. You may not, but if you can get one or two examples, you can see the whole basis, you know? Like if, 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 if it's true that you gave meaning in this situation, and maybe that situation, maybe get four or five convincings, I give me, then you realize, man, I give everything all the meaning it has. So a big light will come on, and then you'll start getting this, you'll start seeing your real seat assignment here. Not, you're not a victim, or you're not this, you're participating, you're the dreaming of the place, really. Yeah? So you've got a bigger role than all the roles you can take as the action figure. Because you're the director, you're the producer, you're the uh, photographer, you're the emitter of the light that it's broadcasting the movie from, you're all of that, yeah? So... How many examples do you need to get convinced? It could take one, just one little shift. Like for me, that was pretty profound. Profound. I heard people share worst thing and best thing, worst thing. I was going, well, this isn't seeming so unique because I've heard it now at eight different meetings from eight different people. So the mind has been going through a similar thing I'm going through in this program called recovery. And this is what can happen. This is a possibility. Now, why would I limit it to with Sally or John? It's all mind. It's a possibility in all mind. Yeah. Or what you actually call no mind. You know? <laughs> it's a possibility there. So, now that you get a couple of things straight, your whole storyline 
which is rooted in this one preposterous idea that you're a long-lasting, independent, separate entity, that you're a body, somehow. <laughs> somehow, you're a body, you know, or you're in a body, or you're a spirit, but every time you talk or think about you, yeah, which is one of the only ways we get in touch with what we think is us, yeah, is we think about us, and the thought system thinks about us as a body. So if you're not knowing things from other ways, if you're not knowing things intuitively or energetically or, let's say, emotionally or feeling-wise, you're only going to know through thought, you know, you're going to be taking yourself to be a body. Because the thought system now you're, that you're relying on right now takes you to be a body. When it thinks about you, it thinks about you as a body. When it thinks about you as a spirit, it's framed as a body. You know what I mean? You say, oh, I'm a spirit, but it's got a lot of tint of bodyhood on it. You know, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's not like a clear body, no identification, all spirit. Because if it did, this whole thing would probably collapse. You know? So there's this identification in place with a body, and that becomes our reference, and we refer everything from there to there. Yeah? It's just what the mind does. It's not personal. The personalness is the source thrown in. <laughs> it's like the soy sauce, you know? It's like the fish oil. <laughs> it makes it tasty because it's about you. Because if it wasn't about you, you'd lose interest in it. Just like you'd lose interest in someone else's shenanigans up there. You'd lose interest in yours if you saw it as someone else's. <laughs> really. You, could, you couldn't sustain the excitement that looks boring. That's boring. <laughs> it's so fucking boring. It only looks exciting because it's about you. If you if that you just starts dripping off it, you see it as boring. You know, the same old, same old. So, you know, it's not, you know, the fear becomes the basic state, and then you have a lot of things you're worried about. Yeah? And the things that you're worried about change, but the fear basically stays in place. Yeah? That becomes, and it's not a true state, it's a mental state. Yeah? It's a mental state that now reaches into every one of your experiences and throws a little bit of its color on it. Yeah? So you, if you don't feel like you're going to have enough, then sometimes when you get more than enough, you'll see it as a, you'll scare the shit out of you. Because you think it's, you're not going to get enough of more. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and it's like, so the states now start, like, dying all your experiences to support and reinforce their view of what's going on. And their view of life is that it's happening to you. Yeah? That if you were different, or if other people were different, it wouldn't happen to you. And, and of course, your idea that if this didn't happen to me, what would happen to me would be great. Yeah? There's no real foundation of reality to that, but it sounds really good, because it makes it juicier when you're feeling fucked up. Because then the th mind will come in and say, well, you wouldn't be feeling this way if you didn't do this, this, and this, and this. And there's always the assumption it would be bright, sunny skies, and everything would be great. But it's never that way. But that's the illusion. That's the story. Yeah? It hooks you again. So now... The suffering is compounded because it's bookended with, it doesn't have to be this way, and if it wasn't this way, it would be great. <laughs> so, you've got these two vices going in this. So, it turns into exquisite suffering. Exquisite suffering because it's created a possibility of something could be present if this wasn't. <laughs> If this wasn't present, a great presence would be available to me. <laughs> you see, because the punch wouldn't be too much if this was just what was going on and you just saw it as what's going on. 
but because it doesn't have to be going on, and what will be taking its place would be great, it makes it really juicy. Doesn't it? Come on, it does. Yeah? So it produces exquisite suffering. Yeah? It takes the one possibility, expands on it, and then instead of hearing like one note, you're sitting down to the symphony of sorrow. You know what I mean? Oh, like my friend, a great example in Australia who... You know, I was visiting him a couple of times. I used to do talks in this in Perth, and I stay with my friend Damien's house. And he had his lovely girlfriend. And uh, Damien, hope you don't mind. I don't probably want to be here this year. But uh, and he's, you know, but he, when he was there, he really wasn't paying much attention to the girlfriend and stuff, you know. And then she left. And so what happened is he called me up that night that she left, and he says a realization had just happened. Just after she left, he had a realization that she was the source of all his happiness. Yeah? He, didn't have, he didn't have that realization when the source of the happiness was in his room or in the house. It's when she was gone with no recourse ever to meet her again. Then, suddenly she was anointed as the source of all his happiness. <laughs> and Elvis led him to take kill himself that night. You see? But you see it? You think that's, a, you think that's really an honest appraisal of what was happening? That suddenly she's the sort. It just it just coincided perfectly with her leaving. That suddenly she's viewed as the sort. You don't see there's a little bit of a conspiracy maybe going on. Yeah, something doesn't. It's not enough that someone who you like maybe left you, but it has to be anointed as the source of all your happiness. And there's going to be no recourse for you to ever get there again. That could leave you in a pretty bleak mental landscape, emotional landscape. Yeah? It would be like being in an alley in a dark emotional city or something. You fuck, what the fuck? You have to do anything. Like, he almost did. You see? So you have to, there's like a, the mind, the mental process gets the hit, gets the, gets, gets the instrument, which is this apparatus, and then plays it for its own, and has it dance to its own tunes, yeah? And its own tunes are golden oldies and future golden oldies. <laughs> That's basically what it wants to go down back to. It wants to reminisce of how great it could have been if I hadn't done something, or if another I called you hadn't done something. But somehow, I was thwarted. <laughs> and then it just plays the tune, and everything, every dance partner that meets it meets dances, dances the same way. And you, you think it's different because they may look different, but if you look at the pattern of reaction and, and, and uh, goings on, you would see it's the exact same as all your other relationships, basically. <laughs> yeah? Because you're the dominant player in all of it. So once you get, if you had, if you start hearing some stuff, about the machinations of the of the mental process, let's say the conditional mind, and you start and then it starts hitting you like it's true. Let the mind expand on it, so you don't have to stay in the classroom the rest of your time. You can actually get it. You can graduate by getting the principle of it. Yeah, you'll see. If I'm giving my if I'm giving this situation the meaning, it it has. A, let's go. Hey, I'm giving every situation the meaning it has. Big difference, yeah? Because so instead of thinking this this situation is totally different than that situation, you start seeing the thread that runs through them all, and the thread has a lot to do with you, <laughs> you know. What I don't mean you as Paul, but you as the event. Yeah? In other words, the moment you're in, you are the moment that you're in. In a way, you're the big player here. Yeah? You're the big player. Yeah? 
So if you can catch like a thread like one or two, three, you can pretty much realistically assume it runs through it all. So let's get on with the next sort of lesson. So you lost, all right, let's go to the next class and then find out, okay, what's my role here, this and that. And then maybe you get to an advanced, not an advanced stage, but then you fall into something like old Zen and they'll tell you, all right, now this is probably what you could fall into. You're going to probably try to use the mind to seek the mind. You're going to actually try to use the Buddha, and in trying to get the Buddha, you'll be actually denying your own Buddhahood. Yeah. It'll sound great, you think you're very noble attempting to find the Buddha, but in fact what's going on, you're hiding yourself in open, in open sight. You know? in, you're, hiding, you're hiding the Buddha in the pursuit of the Buddha. Yeah? All right, that's a damn freaking cool idea. Let me see if that. Let me see if that. Let me see. Oh, okay, I was in Thailand meditating thirteen hours a day. Could I construe that behavior, how it was set up, as trying to find the Buddha with the Buddha? Yes, I think so. I think that's what was going on pretty clearly. All right, let's see what happened. I left there and I just went to another retreat with the same frame and just tried to meditate myself into Buddhahood again. But I kept running into this little disclaimer they threw out in old Zen. Hey, the Buddha can't, you can't use the Buddha to see the Buddha. You're the Buddha. You know what I mean? Just as you think you are, you're not that. Yeah? Whatever you think you are, you're not that. Yeah? Alright, so maybe, maybe I gotta take another tact. Instead of trying to go with the old, well, more is better, so if I did one retreat for two weeks and it didn't seem to really last long, maybe if I do a month, or maybe three months, and then mix it with some tantra and silence and emotional work and physical, psychic, shamanistic work. Somehow get this whole thing, but it, you're going to run into that same statement if it's valid that you're attempting to seek for the Buddha as the Buddha. Yeah, it's not going to work. You can't use the Buddha to find the Buddha. Yeah. All right. That statement. Does any of the behavior I seem to be uh, participating in fall into that category? Yes, I think so. I would put this year, this year, this year, this year, and it lines up pretty damn well. All right. Okay. Well, what can I do? How can I get out of this conundrum? Because it looks like if I try to get out of it, that's another way of being in it. Voila! Now you're onto something. Now you're starting to realize a movement in this way isn't a movement the way we picture it. It's not a movement into doing and having, it's a movement of mind. The mind moves, and then everything moves from the mind. Yeah? All you're doing and having isn't moving the mind. It's probably safely entrenched to that old idea that you're the doer and you're the haver. So once again, you'll be in, in the act of denying the Buddha by seeking the Buddha. You'll be in the act of denying the mind as what it is right now by seeking the mind. Yeah? You'll be, you'll, be you'll be in the act of denying the light by using the light to seek the light. Yeah? Instead of just realizing you're an illuminating quality. Yeah? You are on. You didn't earn it. You didn't achieve it. It didn't. It wasn't. You're not a chosen one. You're incessantly on. Yeah? And to get into the rudimentary state that's prior to the mental state, and prior to the physical state, and prior to the energetic state, and prior to the emotional state, try to see if you let go of how you're holding all of those, what do you fall into? Maybe you'll fall into that prior state. Yeah? And then you can rest there. Then you can see 
what's expressing in the emotional state, in the mental states, in the action world, is that. It's mind and mind alone. Yet, all of it's trudging through whatever's going on, it doesn't get muddy at all. It never gets affected by what's appearing in it. Just like the sky, it never gets affected by what's appearing in it. Yeah? That's what mind is like. You know, Tibetan Buddhism, they would, in Dogen, they'd have you sit outside in a clear day with no clouds and just stare at it so that your mind can mimic the idea of what a vast space it is. So that you can maybe you would dawn on you, you're the vast space. Not as Paul as the physicality, but Paul as the mind that's gazing at this space. The spaciousness of it can remind you of what your own nature is like. So they would use these little things to do, to sort of gaze, and in a relaxed manner, not concentrating on it, but relax, open up the lens, yeah? Take the timer off, yesterday and tomorrow if possible, and just let it, and then you'll see what the mind does with information dropping down, yeah? The information they really have, can move the mind, not even move the mind, just the calibration within it may shift, and it can change the rest of your life. On a day-to-day level. Yeah. Just one little tremor there is like an earthquake out here. An earthquake that no one else may notice, but you'll notice. Yeah. No, there, won't, there won't be any big signs, oh, Paul started this earthquake. There'll just be an earthquake in your own life. You'll travel lighter. Yeah. And in that travel lighter, maybe you'll come upon the fact that you're the light that's traveling. Yeah. No matter how heavy it looks, it doesn't influence the lightness of what's traveling. And this is just a mere little interlude. This is like a boat of infinity stopping at a moor of time. You know, loading and unloading, and this and that, taking up provisions, dropping things off. It's like in a blink of the eye. It's like I said, like a, the blink of an eye is like 10,000 years, you know? We're being stretched out in time. We're entertaining, we're dreaming time. So time is like stretching us out so that it looks like we were here and we're going to be here. Yeah? It's like a mental, like a magician move. Yeah? Takes the, takes the deck of cards and goes... Yeah? Doesn't say don't take it. See, the fact is, if you, whatever you're drawn to doesn't imply that there was someone that was drawn to it. Yeah? Like the apparatus may have a, uh, I think, a very good program built in to try to take care of itself. Yeah? But it's not you. So you can be free from all the meaning that you would bring to it. You would just let the body take care of itself, and it can learn, it knows how to heal, it knows how to do a lot of things. If your mental static would be got out of the way, the body gets the, it has its own little uh, ability. Its programs are pretty damn refined for a lot of things, yeah? But it's, it's, it has this like mental lord sitting on top of it producing static so you can't pick up yeah if this thing can be sent around the corner for a half hour everything else left behind does much better <laughs> if you keep it busy so a purpose get a purpose wear it loosely fuck yeah I have a purpose today my purpose is not to get hit by a car let's say for the third time. You know, right? So I'm going to be a success, hopefully, most of the days. So put it up. It doesn't have to have any fucking real meaning. You're giving it all the meaning it has. But the head may be like in Buddhism, in Hinduism, they talk about the monkey mind, you know, the mind, monkey mind. And they say, like, following your breath would be like a pole, and you put the monkey on it. 
Yeah? So you put your crazy monkey mind, instead of paying attention to this and that, all this, just rest in the breath. It's going on. As long as you're alive, you're going to breathe out, breathe in. There'll be a pause both times, right? When you breathe in, it hits a point where there's a pause. That's your original phase. Breathe out. It gets to zenith, pause, and, and breathe in again, right? It's like, that's what you are that pause, in a sense. So you just let that go. What happens to the mental process? Instead of going like this, it gets on the pole and then it starts. And what happens is it, it, it calms down. So what happens when it calms down? One of its qualities is to reflect. It now can reflect things clearly. You can see blue is blue and red is red. Yeah. When you're all like this, you can't. You're just making assumptions and speculations, mostly on past fucking uh, information, which is all bogus in the video. But when the mind is calm, not you, what you are is beyond that. But when the conditional mind is calm, it will reflect things, yeah? And basically what we'll do is, instead of being so engaged in all of this, the, the mind has, it, has it, both sides of it, it doesn't have sides, but let's just say both sides of it reflect, yeah? Now what happens with us, we're identified as this picture, this little picture on this side of the mirror, yeah, which distorts the viewing, and everything that we see, hear, feel, taste goes back to this little image that's on the outside of the mirror. But the other side of the mirror is also has the ability to reflect, yeah? And so it's reflecting infinity, no thingness. Yeah? And because nothing's going on, then reflection is never broken. Yeah? There's no thing to come in to be reflected. It's just emptiness is reflected, yeah? So the mind finds an incredible amount of peace like this, and then it has what it needs to do, have to do what it needs to do here. Yeah? It pays attention to this, but then that goes away, pays attention to that. But it's always resting in the attention of that. Because that's never broken, that view. Yeah? If you don't see, if you looked and all you saw was space, there would never be an experience of seeing anything. There would be a state of seeing. Yeah? You'd be in the state of seeing. There wouldn't be something, wouldn't, the state of seeing wouldn't become an experience because something popped up and then you saw that. That's an experience. But in the state of seeing, it goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And it's amazing, both things can happen at the same time. Because out here, what's being reflected is of time. There, what's being reflected is timeless. The timeless is the context of all the time. Yeah? So both can occur at the same time. Always the timelessness is occurring because it's always it's timeless. Yeah? The other time comes and goes. Yes? So now you're living now, instead of having everything, they call it in one, I think, one form of Buddhism, they call it the loop of self-importance. So I'm identified as this idea of Paul. And so my mental, when I go back in, yeah, where I go into is something that's out, yeah, which is the body. You can say it both ways. Let's just say this is the out, and the in is what can't be seen. Okay. So now the mental process, the men, my life, my interest, attention goes out, experience things, and then it would go back in. But what it goes back into is an idea of this pole, which is a body, which is out. Obviously, yeah. If I'm seen as a body, that's not in. That's not in uh, no thingness. That's in thingness. But it's assumed I'm in. 
because this becomes, we're identified as this being Paul. This is the Alpha and the Omega. This is the beginning and the end. It isn't. Yeah? So here it goes. So your attention goes out during the day. Sometimes, more, some days, it's more demanding. Like if you've got to go through bureaucracy and stuff like that. Do you know what's happening here? You know Zen Bishop? All right. All right. Good. All right. Just make sure I, we're here for like, you know, bus schedules or something. And we're to work out how the Muni works in San Francisco. So. And I wandered into St. John. Yes, right. That's right. Hey, stranger things have happened then. So, so here, so here's the attention going out. So I'm having experience. Let's say you have bureaucracy. You got to go through things you don't want to do. Of course, time seems longer then. You know, it becomes a treasure because of the meaning you're given situation. All right. All right. So now I'm meeting John, and then it boos, it boomerangs back to me, me as this thing that's out. Yeah. I believe it's in. You know, I go in here, but this is out also. The brain is out. The brain's a fucking organ that you can see. You can pick it up. Yeah? It's not in. It's not of no thingness. It, tra- it allows no thingness to move through here and experience stuff, but it's not of no thingness. So, I'm going out all day, and it's freaking tired, so I want to get home, and you basically want to go in, let's say. So you want to sit down and be quiet or something. But what happens is, you go in, but you go into the in that's out. <laughs> and it's all about today, and thinking, and all like this. And it fucking drives you crazy, you know? Where you really want to sit down and just chill out and meditate, but you never even get close to meditating. All you get is a review of the day, <laughs> and incessant thinking about where you were and what you were in the out. Never, it's never restful or anything like that. Maybe if you work really hard, you may get there, but usually, then you'll think, "Oh, did I leave the laundry? You know, leave the you know the uh, the toaster on or something?" So pull you back at the end. So here you go. But what would happen if you weren't that little mental holographic image your conditional mind is holding that you were in a body? Yeah, just possible. So now the interest and attention is out here all day, you know, fueling experiences, and then it's going to go for some rest. So it goes back in, and this time, it doesn't stop at that little billboard with your face on it, either smiley or sad face. It goes through, because this is out. It can easily go through, because it's not a thing, you know? You don't have, there's no, like, supply of interest. It's not like a quantity that you can add up, can you? Or attention. You can't, it's not like I have an attention quota or... Um, I get rationed about my whole week's attention on Sunday. I gotta, by Thursday, I've spent it all. I fucking, I have no attention. So I just go into a coma-like effect until the delivery shows up on Sunday night again. Then, oh, I better use my attention more wisely. No, there's no, it doesn't run out. You don't run out of attention or interest. It's not like a finite well that you fucking drop a bucket in. It's, it's an unlimited resource, yeah? As long as the conditions align us to there. So here, so here's my interest tension. Now it goes back, and then it doesn't come to a screeching halt and hit this billboard of Paul and go back out. So okay, now I just went to rest in Paul, which wasn't rest at all; it was total agitation. <laughs> and I go back out, and so obviously now I get the wiring sort of screwed up. I think I'm going to find relief from the agitation in the out. Yeah, because I've assumed this is the end. And the end seems really crazy, so I'm going to find someone else, or find this job, or find this place, or this money, and I'll get the relief I need from the in, in the out, yeah? But you made a mistake, this in is out. 
This is the out. All this agitation is just beginning more agitation. So now you try to get relief out here from this, and usually it doesn't work, because let's say you have peace, let's say, the first thing this thought system's going to do, where you're calling now I'm in the realm of peace in here, but it's out, it's going to think, will I be in peace tomorrow? Because time is going to be very, very important. And therefore, how much, is, how, how much of peace do you actually have when you get concerned we'll be here tomorrow? That's not peace of fuck at all. It isn't. It's slavery. Because now, it, you have another thing to move you to go out to try to seek something that you think means in. Yeah? So the peace becomes a place you go, a physical location. And if you're not at that physical location on the retreat, then you're not at peace. That's not peace. Peace should be happening at 7th and Market. It should be available where, right where you are. Because you are in. That in can never be forgotten. It can be seemingly forgotten, which is the out is doing quite a lot, but it cannot be forgotten. Because without the in, there ain't no out. Yeah? So, okay, so now the loop of self-importance gets broken. It goes out and goes through the self, but now you've entertained the possibility, it's all this is, a simple invitation. Hey, I may not be that. I may not be the thinker or the feeler. I may not be of time. I may not be of physicality. Not saying I am or not. Just, may, just throw some, some little wrenches in the works. Now, it may break through. You go through the false in, and now you're really in. And you know it beyond knowing, yeah? It's like an unspoken yes. You've now touched, like, the raw mind, in a sense. So, it goes there. Now, there's rest involved, and then it goes back out, and now it has this loop, not of self-importance, but a much larger orbit, where it goes out, experience, 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 gets refreshed, experience, experience, gets refreshed, yeah? Even in a very incredible experience, if you can know where the it is, you can get rest. In five seconds, you can just sit and enjoy a pause. The pause is not of this place, yeah? The pause is from in, yeah? So you rest in the in, and then you have enough to deal with your whole day. Just like if you have kids, you got to get them here, and you got to get them there, and you're totally rushed. But at the same time, the in is always available, and one second in the in is like, could be like 10 years out here. You can find a huge amount of rest and refreshment without much, with no effort or thought, yeah? So now you've got a nice system going. You're out, you're having a life and everything, your experiences galore, yet you're in, yeah? resting in the idea of what I am, not the idea, but the actually the entertaining of what I am, and then back out, and in and out, out, back out. And this now this this like orbit provides uh, an experience or an influence out here, which is you start traveling lighter out here. You try you start traveling lighter, not as that, but as the body, as the idea of Paul, the idea of this and that. Yeah? This doesn't need to travel lighter. <laughs> it's, or it's it's all the lightness there is. But there's a need for us to travel out here because we can seemingly travel really heavy here. Yeah, and if you go and talk to ten people you know, I bet you eight of them have incredible vice-like stories of how they're fucked. And there's no escape. Because there isn't any escape. The escape doesn't happen out here. It happens in here. Because the, this, this escape is prior to the bondage, not after the bondage. 
It's not like I'm bound and now I've gotten relief, only to be bound again, because that's what happens on the experience level. You experience being bound, then you get relief, and then you experience being bound again. And it goes into the system of bound, relief, and it just produces more and more seeking, yes? But prior to the bondage, there's freedom. Not from from the bondage before it happens, yeah? Not after it happens. Because after it happens, it's just another link of the chain of causation, of cause and effect of bondage, yeah? Bonded, feeling better, bonded, feeling better. You're never going to get one purely going on. You're going to get both, yeah? But prior, you're free from that. You're free from the need to be liberated, and you're free from the idea of ever being bonded. Yeah? You're free from both. Both. Not, not like, oh, I got rid of the bondage, now I'm going to get liberated. No, you're free from that also. Because that's a story. Yeah? Now you just find yourself where you find yourself. So it's been broken. That's all we're doing here. We keep inviting each other to entertain the possibility of don't let don't let the growth or the movement of attention and interest get stunted by this bondage to this idea of being a seller. Because if it is, it's going to be the cause of a lot of unease here. It needs to circulate. Yes. Breakthrough. Right now it's going this and hitting this. It's going out here, having experiences with things, and then going back and hitting a thing. You need some no-thingness in, in, in it. You need, a, you need like a, a, a salting of no-thingness in all the... We're having a straight thing diet. It's fucking... It's heavy. Yeah. Really. You need a little break. And not as a thing. The break comes from the no-thingness. But it, it's, its effect is in the thingness. This is where you feel it as an experience, or as to me, it's like a state that influences experiences. It's not an experience. If it was, it wouldn't be worth anything, really. It'd be coming and going again. But a state has much more lastability, and this, if you're in a certain state, it will influence whatever experience you have during that state. Yeah. Most of us are in a mental state. So what we're having is mental experiences <coughs> coming up in a mental state. Sort of like <coughs> everything is going on, but everything that seems to be going on is defined by the frame that it's going on in. <coughs> and that's called self-centeredness, yeah? So we want to change some of that. <coughs> but the fact is, whatever we bring into that will morph into what the frame wants it to look like. And after a while, it's like the same old, same old. You go to Bangkok, it's like Burlingame, you know, a couple of days. Because <coughs> you're there, giving the same old meaning of things, you know what I mean? <coughs> this way, we're not worried. If you were here and you had no place to stay and this and that, we wouldn't be doing a talk like this with you. We'd be telling you where to go to get a shelter tonight, yeah, get food stamps. We'd be trying to help you on the level you seem to be, yeah? But if you're not at that level, and everyone here is somewhat comfortable, yeah, we're not, yeah. All right, now we can look at the frame a little more. The consequences aren't so crazy. We don't, all our attention doesn't have to be there to make that seem to get better. We can look at the frame and see if we can push against the frame, yeah. Instead of going out again and trying to bring more experiences back to that, can we have a different state? That frames our life. Yeah, can it be something? Can can there be a different frame instead of self-centeredness? Could there be like centeredness? Let's say. 
It would be somewhat, it would be like a frame, but a very loose, loose knit frame called centeredness. And if you had that, and you had some senses of it, and saw some of his expressions and experience, you'd have something to refer to. You'd see, oh, so this is self-centeredness, this is what it feels like to be claustrophobic and small and contracted, and centeredness, which makes me feel like freaking very spacious and large, yes, and substantial, large, but a very sense of substantiality, like a real presence. Okay, so now you can diagnose what's going on. You can diagnose when your mind seems to be framed by this frame, and you've had enough of it, let's say, maybe a, a disillusion enough, and now you know that you're not going to be able to do and have yourself out of it. You're not going to be able to use the mind to seek the mind, or the Buddha to seek the Buddha. So a lot of the basic mistakes have now been addressed through historical understandings, you've learned something, hey, Jesus, now you'll see it applicable to what your own experience, you'll see, you'll be able to diagnose yourself, in a way, where the mind is, yeah? And then know that what's truly behind it all has never, ever changed, so you've found your true reliability, and it's right where you are at any given moment, with no requirement necessary to meet it. It's always available as what you are to what you're not. The, the requirements are on the to what you're not side, not to the what you are side. Yeah? If you have strong enough considerations, they will seemingly be able to block you from it. But if those considerations get dismissed, there won't be any blocking. So you'll see you have a role in it. Yeah? The only thing that could seemingly block mind from mind is mind. <laughs> not, a, not a fucking action figure. So, mind would have to be working through that action figure to make it seem to happen. Yeah, it can never happen, but seemingly it can. And seemingly is a very important word here. It appears to be true or false to us. Yeah. Isn't that the case? Certain things appear to be true, and maybe they've been appearing to be true for a while, then you get a sinus infection, now they're appearing to be false. Your physical condition has changed the meaning that was given to things, yeah? Never make decisions when you're having a sinus infection. You'll probably get arrested sooner or later, that day. Never, you know, if it has, a, if it's still, still stop pontificating about your relationship and your career, do not put any action behind it, because it is totally distorted. So your camera lens is totally distorted because the camera, conditional cameras, conditionality with identification as the body. Yeah. Now, all the while, the mind is never blinks, never is distorted, never is never not seeing blue as blue and red as red and this and that. So it's always available, but the point is, is to recognize what you see not to be. And maybe then you can ask a subjective question like, who is it? Who is it that thinks they, they're not connected? Instead of trying to figure out, just jumping right to the false uh, evidence, which is you're not connected, trying to get connected, maybe pause and go, well, who is it that thinks it's, that it's not connected? And who is it that thinks it can be connected if it does something? If it's not you, you may lose, lose allegiance to it, yeah? And then all those things, they, don't, they can't drive far without your energy. <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> the fleet that goes that gets sent out is you're the fuel. Yeah? When the fuel depot closes down, all the fucking car trips, road trips get diminished. Yeah? They have nowhere to go. They don't have an energy of their own. It's your energy by believing the shit that makes it seem so real. Yeah? The movie sucks in a lot of way levels. It's the audience that makes it look good. 
this is the participant. The participant is the audience. The movie is just the movie, but the participant is the audience. Yeah, and we're that. We're the audience. Yeah. If you're totally enamored of you, you may have a bad little bent in your little preoccupation, which is you like fucking melodramatic drama. So you may end up in hospitals and getting arrested on 10-day runs and having girlfriends leave you at the worst possible moment, and you'll be, your mind will be fucking like a pig in mud. You know what I mean? And all the while you have a story. I, really, I don't like this happening, but you're loving it. <laughs> On some level, you want it to be exactly the way it is. And you can't seem to counterdict that order. <laughs> and you thought you had some power, you're powerless. That meant the wind is blowing through you and it's going to do what it wants to do. And you're going to be left holding the bag. <laughs> so some people, they want to be right. And how they get to be right is being really wrong. <laughs> and they get to be right, though, man. And shit happens. <laughs> so just, you know, this is... I, when I read these things... These little statements, and some of the most, the best were the smallest ones, like St. Francis has always stopped my mind, that one of what's looking is what you're looking for. That stops my mind, you yeah? It's like, you ever see one of those door stoppers? It's like a door stopper. The door has a tendency to close, and you stick it in there, it stays open, and then, whoa, you feel what it's like to have space, you know, outside the room. <laughs> so another door stopper, you know. You know, you can't use mind to seek mind. You can do it for eons, and nothing will fucking happen. All right. I'd rather, I don't even want to do it for a week now. <laughs> eons. Sounds like, I know if I get it before eons pass. Let me see if I can get it today. All right, check that out. I'm going to entertain what that, what does it imply? What does it mean? I have a sense felt feeling of it, you know? What does it mean? Well, I have tons of evidence, spiritual seeking, and it seemed to fall into that category, quite a lot of it. That explains a whole lot, yeah? Now the mind can step over that. It doesn't have to keep kicking it and looking into it. All the research it needed to do is done. Move on. Yeah? The freedom isn't knowledge. It's freedom from knowledge. It's freedom from fucking everything. That's it. Yeah? The knowledge is just a stepping stone. Yeah? Once you step over the stone, the knowledge can become an impediment down the road. An understanding can become a pediment. Right now, there's a need for an understanding, but it's not the understanding. The understanding ain't it. The understanding will allow you to entertain nothingness in a way, where there is no, as you're going down, there's no thing to grab. And after a while, there's no thing to grab. Your hands, what you call your hands, you'll see as wings. You'll stop, fucking stop flying. But you'll never stop flying if you grab one. Yeah? So the truth is so fucking beautiful because it doesn't let anything adhere to it. None of your ideas, none of your ideas can attach to it. Yeah? You're like a barnacle that's trying, there's no rock for it to grab. Yeah? The barnacle has all the ability to attach this and that, but if there isn't a rock for it to land on, it can't do it. It's just going to float around. Yeah? It's the rock that gives the barnacle a hole. Yeah? It's your old ideas. It's the state that your mind seems to be in that's causing everything else to seem the way it does. Get to the root. See the root, and then, and then just seeing the root will change everything that grows from it, really. You don't have to chop the root down. That thing that wasn't giving flower or wasn't giving fruit will give fruit. Yeah. 
Just like that rose thing. If you had a bush here, a rose bush here, and the rose bush uh, was in a very small pot with lousy soil, it was in the dark a lot, it wouldn't be able to bloom, yeah? Now, if that rose bush had self-centeredness, it would be blaming itself for not blooming. And then it would be looking at rose magazines. I should, look at how great this body looks. What's wrong with me? No blooms whatsoever. All this shit, you know, goes on and on. And tons of stories about, I'm a non-blooming rose. I'm so special. No rose has never not bloomed like me. Look at me. Never, not one rose is issuing from this fucking bush. Yeah. All right, so you've got now you invested in this story, which makes it a lot harder. What would happen is, without any, you don't have to even go to the rose. No, fucking, you don't even have to talk to the rose. Oh, rose, come on, come on, have a positive outlook, man. You can bloom, you can bloom. Fuck that. Just change the pot. Put some good soil in there, give it some water, give it some light. It's going to bloom in spite of its little story. Yeah? Because that's what it does. That's what happens. People, it's like when you tell this story about uh, this pooper scooper story. It's an old one I use from recovery, where they describe uh, the situation that we do an inventory about, which is uh, being convinced that self, the small s, which I like to call selfing, is what has defeated us, manifested in various ways, is what has defeated us. We will now look at its current manifestations, okay? So I used to always use this story about a guy who has a house and a nice lawn, a nice backyard. And he loves the backyard, you know, beautiful, pristine pine trees all around it. And he'd run off with no shoes on in the morning, do, and then do angels, and he have like, pro-TK tournaments and picnics and, you know, horizontal weddings and people would be laying on his lawn and, you know, <laughs> taking the vows. Everything was just, it had a lot, a lot to do with his life, you know? And then one day, he jumps off the porch and he lands in something he's never seen before, shit, dog shit. And so what, his life gets smaller immediately. Gotta wear shoes though. Yeah, this is what happens. We fucking tolerate and adapt to this slavery. We just keep giving in more and more and more and more until our life is so fucking small, it's intolerable. But here it goes. So now he's gotta wear shoes. So now he jumps and he doesn't, make sure he doesn't go there, but then he steps right in another, some shit. And then he starts walking around this lovely lawn. There's a lot of shit all over the place, all different kinds of shit, you know. And then uh, it smells, like, incredible. So now he's, he goes into the thing, and like, you know, I'm a true alcoholic, does, he just ignores it, all right? Like, I'll just go back tomorrow, see, maybe I'll just miraculously go. You know, yes, God, please take all this shit away, whatever. So then he goes to the door, and the next morning he goes out there, and there's even more shit. He says, Jesus Christ. So now he goes to the door, pulls the, the shades down, and he goes out and buys pictures of lawns, you know? So then videos of lawns, and then you know, Kentucky Derbies, the bluegrass, and then he, some, he shares this to other people, and they're in the same predicament. Oh, yeah. Like, I used to have such a fucking lawn, and now I can't do anything. All the croquet tournaments cancel, everything like that. And then we all get together, and we moan the loss of our lawns. You know? It's okay. And some guy comes over and says, "Hey, I've heard about your problem." And I go, "Yeah, it's fucking smelly. I can't get you know. I can't even use my lawn. Like two by five of it, I can't use." He says, "Listen, I got a solution for you." And now you're very avid about the solution because the problem is seen as a problem. You want a solution. The guy goes, okay, here's a pooper scooper, yeah? 
if you get good at scooping the poop, there'll be a point where there'll be some time where, the, in certain areas, like three by six feet, there won't be any shit. So you can at least enjoy it for a couple hours. Yeah. But you got to be vigilant, and you got to really freaking try to manage it because the shit's just going to keep building up. So he, I said, "Well, I better buy two. So now you start scooping up the scoop, uh, scooping the pooper, and you're doing this, and you get pretty good. And people hear about it who have the same problem, and so they call you for advice. And they say, hey, "Can you talk to one meeting? Or, I had a meeting this tonight. Can you come and talk?" I said, "Yeah, I'm glad to share my experience." So I say, "All right, this is what happened. I got the pooper scoop, and hey, now I get to, it. Doesn't smell as bad. There's still a lot of shit." But smells bad. No more croquet things. But at least I can. I got a three by six. I can lay down for an hour or so. Next day it's gone, but for a little while. All right. So now I was like, "How did you do it?" I said, "It's these pooper scoopers." So I said, hey, "What model do you use?" Oh, it's all this model. I really like. It's pretty fast. Get good handles. So, so now you start doing it. Then you start having your own line of models with autograph, all headed in Cooper Scooper. And you got, you know, distributing on the internet, and you know, a lot of people have this problem. And now you become a circuit speaker. You're going all around, going to conventions and speaking, and you've got your, <laughs> your two Cooper Scoopers signed and everything. And, you know, you got it going on. Now, you know, you're, you're the solution to the problem. You've got the solution. Yep. And so one, one day a guy comes in and he's, and you know, now you're quite invested in having the problem, right? Your whole identity is based on being the pooper scooper master, or so to speak. So for that to be, so there's got to be a lot of poop yeah, for you to master. So now a guy comes in and says, hey, I heard you have a problem. And he goes, I don't have a problem. It's been solved. Don't you, haven't you heard of me? Paul had a big pooper scooper master. Eighth degree black belt here. And the guy goes, yeah, I heard of you. You still have a problem. No, no, no. He says, all right, well, maybe one day. He says, and as he's walking out, he says, hey, find the dog. Yeah? <laughs> so I'm sitting there, and the guy goes, what? Find the dog. Where do you think the shit's coming from? A fucking dog. And so the guy goes, you would think he would immediately respond to that, but he's got a lot of investment in being the pooper scooper best. Yeah? He's, he meets girls at these conventions. I mean, a lot of his life is based on this situation. So the solution doesn't look like a solution from his point of view. It's more like, hey, I don't want that solution. My business would be done. You know, no one would have to buy a scooper from me. I wouldn't be a circus speaker. No freaking way I want to hear about this solution. Yeah? And because the thing is, he says get rid of the dog, but in the act of being identified, you are the dog. And your head cannot entertain being free from it. It's entertaining being free as it. That's the slavery. The solution is being free from it. Yeah? If you saw it as not you, you'd get rid of the dog. If you see it as you or yours, you'll protect it, defend it, and you'll feed it. And you're going to feed a lot of your interest and attention, and that's where the shit's coming from. Yeah? It's your interest and attention. How could next week shit on you today unless you're giving it a lot of attention and interest? It can't shit. Get it? It's next week. How can three weeks ago shit on you today? How could it? It has to have, I have to pump it with interest and attention, thinking about me and what's going to happen to me or what happened, for it to have any kind of effect now. I'm the, I'm the beckoner of it. Where else is it coming from? Does it have a mail slot, you know, two weeks ago? Evelyn has said two weeks ago till two weeks from now. Fuck his Wednesday up, man. You know what I mean? I'm going to fuck his Wednesday up by last Saturday. <laughs> you know? No! <laughs> 
And why are we going there constantly? It's about us. Yeah, we love the fucking dog. Yeah. You'll call a dog catcher for everyone else's dog, but not yours. No <laughs> fucking way. You'll call get that fucking dog is driving me, but you know, no. This is like gold shit coming out of here. <laughs> Come on. Just see it, maybe. See, it's like in Buddhism they call it cherishing yourself. It says, cherishing is a pretty good word. It captures it really well. This is cherishing. Even when we're in shit, we're sort of a cherishing in a lot. You know, it's, it makes us seem big. If I could suffer so much, I must... See, I, from, when I was a kid, I must have asked to be special, you know? Now, I didn't go over and define it very clearly. So, now I can see my back by looking at my leg from getting run over and having them put that. That wasn't the kind of special I was looking for. <laughs> I mean, you know, I had this knee operation, the doctor says, I know it's, no one I've ever operated on has had this reaction. Oh, great, it's a special one. You know what I mean? This, so, be careful with what your head's asking because you may not realize what package it's going to bring, you know? Being right and being special are huge booby prizes. Hey, hey, it says, just be an average Joe among Joes, an average worker among workers. That's where your true brilliance can shine, is in the ordinary, you know? It's easy to shine at a big fucking retreat and stuff, but during your day, all day, when you're by yourself, is the, is the light there, yeah? Is the, is, is the constant companion only been at the retreat, or is it there Wednesday morning, Friday afternoon, Saturday, Sunday? Conditions. What makes you believe a condition can override it? Another condition, a mental condition called selfing. It gives itself way too much power. You can't override your inherent nature. It's no fucking way. It can only seem to be blocked for a bit of time. Yeah, how many, oh, so many times during the day, with that, while you were being vigilantly attentive, you were right in where you are at all times. You just don't, the mental note, the mentality doesn't want to make a note of it because it dismisses its whole story. Yeah. You have a miracle at 10, it will forget it by 12. You have a resentment that actually never happened 30 years ago, you're dwelling on it like every day. <laughs> Do you need any more evidence about where your mind rests, the bias that it has? Do you need to go over 50 other experiences? Why not get it the first shot? It's a failed system. Those are one of the biggest things happened to the NAA. It described it perfectly. Because I was at a meeting the other day, people talking about fear. Yeah? It's a big, big, big topic, fear. All right. So the statement from the co-founder was, Fear is the chief activator of our character defects. First of all, they're not ours anyway, but character defects, okay? Pretty incredible statement. So fear is the chief activator. So when I get slimy and like self-seeking, it's usually this fear activates it, yeah? When I'm thinking I'm not going to get what I want or I'm going to lose what I have, then envy will arise, you know? And I don't want you to do well because I'm afraid I'm not going to do well. All this, all this he's basically saying is coming from fear. Chief activator, yeah? Other things can activate it, but they're usually subdivisions of fear or anxiety. Okay, you can leave it there, and then you would think that fear was the cause you better start looking at, yeah? So that you could affect its effects, yeah? So if I get chopped down the fear a little bit, the effects of it will, will, will lose sway, so to speak. But that's not where it stays. It says, what's the activator of fear? 
They'll find that out. So in Bill W. says, uh, he says, why are you in so much fear today? He says, isn't it because self-reliance has failed us? All right? So when the mind is relying on self, that's the activator of fear. Yeah? How do you rely on self? You're identified as it. So when you're identified as a self, you're activating fear. Now the fear can't activate itself. It's not. It's a. It's an effect, really. It seems to be a cause to other things, but it's an effect, and the effect is from the cause of reliance itself. Why not go to reliance itself? See what's going on there. See what would be a highest level of reliance to be that would be identification as you can't be more relied on something than that. Yeah? Taking itself to be you is a pretty fucking deep reliance. Okay. Oh, so that explains a lot. Now, when things happen and it gets all blurry, like you're in the snowstorm of consequences, you have this principle that you can go back to. All right, let's not be fooled. Let me not pin everything on fear, because someone has given me a very good bit of information that it's not fear, it's self-reliance. So let's not get caught in that fucking little activity of fighting fear and doing this, trying to change it like an alchemist. Let's just go, forget that, and go right to reliance itself. Yeah? Alright, do I find myself relying on something that I'm not? Well, if I am, then you realize there's the fear. That's what's activating the fear. Alright, let's cut the activation off. How about in recovery, we do surrender. You know? So at that moment, you turn your willing life over the care of a higher power, other than you, as a you know, action figure. And it seems to work quite well. Surrender is a damn good way to go. So now, you you cut the distribution line that activates the fear. Okay? Now you can tell the truth about what's going on. There's no fear going to be moving you out to the next moment. I better get this or that. You'll be actually able to sit there and look at the structure of what you're not. Yeah, and see it and see. All right, so that's how this is happening. That is how this is being reinforced. And now you're waking up. Now you're in your own less classroom. Like Buddha said, he was his own experiment laboratory. He went into his own body. He went into his own condition, and he saw everything from there. Yeah. Therefore, then you'll be you'll own it. You'll own it. It won't, you know. Because if you rely on, as, from, if you think you're getting it from someone else, then what happens when they move away or they're not available that day? You need to have it where you are always going to be, which is in whatever moment you're in. Yeah, I feel. To me, that's the most pragmatic way. So there you have it. My nose is whistling. It's got great notes now. They just, they just excavated my nose at the nose doctor. Now it's whistling. <laughs> like a Prius through the hollow tunnel. <laughs> just with the air going out. I'm not even doing it. I just hear a whistle. Where's that bird? Where's that bird? It's here. <laughs> It'll change tonight, hopefully. But all different sounds are going through it. It's such a rush to have prana go through the nose, the energy. Oh, it's been so closed off. I haven't smelled a thing in about a month. Yeah, so hey, that's it. Any questions? No? Oh, he just passed the basket, yes. Does he even have a hat? Yeah, can you do me a favor? There's a bag in it, a basket in that closet. Let's see if it's there. Thank you.